morning. Is that, is that working? Okay. Reading from 2 Timothy 1, verses 8 through 18. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he is able to guard until the day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes, May the Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Thank you, Karen. You even got those three names. That was excellent. I don't know if I'm going to get those three names at the end there, just as well as you did. Thirty years ago, I was a teenager. Now, I don't particularly miss being a teenager, except for my long, flowing, beautiful mullet haircut. It was truly glorious, so glorious that I decided not to put a picture on the screen, lest it blind you with its beauty. However, what does make me nostalgic for those days is the music. You know, does this ever happen to you? You hear a song that you haven't heard for a long time, and all of a sudden you're just there again? You know, you hear the song, and and you remember all the feelings, and you remember all your friends, and you remember, and you start celebrating. You're like, yeah, I remember this. You know, this week I was preparing for the sermon, and I had that experience. You know, there was a song. It was first released in 1992. 30 years ago, and this song followed me through high school and college, and it was a song written by the Christian pop group, The Newsboys. Has anyone ever heard The Newsboys? A couple of you out there. Um, In 1992, The Newsboys released their first commercially successful album, and the album and its title track were called, I'm Not Ashamed. I'm Not Ashamed. And that song became an anthem. It became an anthem for so many youth group meetings and so many youth group retreats. Is that me? Justin? Is that me? I guess that's just coming. Hi. Maybe the back.
go. Let's try again. So, the song I'm not ashamed, you know, this became an anthem. It became an anthem for so many of the youth group meetings that I was part of and so many retreats that I went to. And the lyrics of that song, uh, they, they say, what are we sneaking around for? Who are we trying to please? Shrugging off sin, apologizing like we're spreading some kind of disease? I'm saying no way. This one says it's a lost cause. Save your testimonies for church time. And the other one state, you better wait until you do a little market research. And I'm saying no way. Because I'm not ashamed to let you know. I want this light in me to show. I'm not ashamed to speak the name of Jesus Christ. Now, I remember that song playing over and over again at church events and retreats and in the church van on the way to and from the retreats. And I remember being there with my friends loudly singing, I'm not ashamed to let you know. I want the light in me to show. I'm not ashamed to speak the name of Jesus Christ. But what I also remember is that come Monday morning, I was far quieter about the name of Jesus Christ when I returned to school. Because the truth is, it's easy to be unashamed when you're surrounded by those who support and who believe what you believe. But it's much, much harder to be unashamed when you're opposed and when you're alone. And that's what the Apostle Paul knows. He's writing in this section, in this letter to young Timothy. And he says to Timothy what the song said to me and to my friends. Timothy, be unashamed to let them know. Let the light inside you show. Be unashamed, Timothy, to speak the name of Jesus Christ. Be unashamed of the gospel and join me, Timothy, in suffering for the gospel. You know, that's the main idea. It's the main idea, not just of this section of the letter, but arguably this is actually the main idea of the entire letter of 2 Timothy. Be unashamed of and join me in suffering for the gospel. And as we look at it, we're going to see three main movements, three main movements through this section. Paul's thought begins in verse 8 and continues in verses 11 through 14. And that's about unashamed suffering. Unashamed suffering. And there's a little aside and interruption in verses 9 and 10 that we'll look at about the unmerited gospel. So unashamed suffering, unmerited gospel, and then concluding in verses 15 through 18, an example of uncommon courage. So we're going to see in here three movements. Unashamed suffering, unmerited gospel, uncommon courage. And all of it supporting this idea. Be unashamed. Join me, Timothy, in suffering for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, the first movement about unashamed suffering begins in verse 8, but then continues in verse 11. So verses 9 through 10, as we're going to see, are kind of an aside, and we'll address those. But look at 8, and then we're going to skip down to 11. It says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, the gospel, verse 11, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I believed. I'm convinced he's able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So Paul writes, I'm suffering. 
I am suffering unashamed for the gospel. And Timothy, join me. Join me in unashamed suffering. Now, the first thing we should note here is at the beginning of verse 8, the word therefore. Therefore is a connecting word, and what it means is that what Paul writes flows from what he just said. I said this, therefore I'm saying this. And last week we heard Paul encouraging Timothy to fan the flame. He said, hey, Timothy, remember, you have the fuel of a fellowship and a family of faith. You have the flame of the Holy Spirit who has sparked faith within you. Now fan that flame. Make it grow. Make it a consuming fire. Because church, like we discussed last week, the fire of the Spirit within you is not supposed to be a cozy little fire that just warms you. It's supposed to be a blaze that transforms you. Church, are you content to settle for the comfy little fire that warms you up spiritually? When what God really wants for us is to fan into flame the fire of the Spirit, that we might be a people on fire. We read in verse 7 last week, God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Because when the fire of the Holy Spirit blazes within you, it doesn't just warm you, it burns away fear. It fills you with power and with love and with self-discipline. And Paul writes, Timothy, fan that flame, Timothy. Fan the flame so you will not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering For the gospel, how? By the power of God. Paul says the power of God comes from the Spirit of God. So fan into flame that fire of the Spirit. Fan into flame the fire that the Spirit has kindled within you. Church, boldness and unashamedness are not something that you and I muster or manufacture. It's not something that we do. It comes by the work of the Spirit within us, from the fire that burns within. Paul says, Timothy, fan the flame of the Spirit, therefore you'll become unashamed, and being unashamed, share in suffering with me for the sake of the Gospel. That, that phrase, share in suffering, that is actually the first imperative verb form in this section. Imperatives are commands. So the first command that Paul gives Timothy is share with me in suffering. That's not the command I wanted to hear. I'd like to share in some things, but not suffering. But that's the command that he says, share with me in suffering. Join me in suffering for the sake of the gospel. Because, Timothy, you're aware that I'm suffering. I'm chained as a prisoner here in Rome. But join me in suffering for the gospel and stand unashamed. Because, church, if you follow Christ, Shame and suffering will follow you. If you follow Christ, shame and suffering will follow you. Friends, Jesus gave us many promises. He gave us many, many promises. And amongst those guarantees are ones we wish He'd never given us. He promised us in John 15:20, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. In Matthew 24, verse 9, Then they will deliver you over to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Church, it is truly, as we sang this morning, 
Mine are days here as a stranger, pilgrim on a narrow way, one with Christ I will encounter, harm and hatred for his name. And Paul writes to Timothy and he says, Timothy, it's all true. Everything that Jesus said was going to happen, it's happening. And Timothy, you're seeing it in my life, aren't you? You're seeing it in my life. And what I'm saying to you is, don't run away. Because that's the temptation, isn't it? Don't run away, Timothy. No. No, no, no. Christ promised that if we followed him faithfully, then harm and hatred, shame and suffering would come. But by the power of the Spirit, don't be ashamed. Timothy, join me. Join me in unashamed suffering for the sake of the gospel. Church, this utterly unwelcome theme is picked up throughout the New Testament, and especially by the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Peter wrote to a church that was being persecuted by the Emperor Nero, who blamed the Christians for the downfall of Rome, who persecuted them and initiated horrible persecutions against them. And to that church, suffering under persecution, Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 12, Beloved, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in that name. I don't like these words. Peter says, don't be surprised like this is something abnormal if you suffer. Jesus never gave us, friends, a bait and switch. He never watered down or minimized the cost of following him. This is what Jesus said would happen to those who followed him. One with Christ I will encounter harm and hatred for his name. So when you suffer for him, Paul says, Peter says, suffer unashamed. Now I just want to notice that what Peter writes here is he says, don't suffer as a lawbreaker, an evildoer, or what I like to call a jerk for Jesus. You know, there's no glory in suffering justly because you did something wrong. There's no glory in suffering justly because you were obnoxious. The blessing is for those who, as Peter says in verses 14 and 16, suffer unjustly simply for the sake of being a Christian. I mean, really what Peter's doing here is just reminding us of the words that we wanted to forget. The words that Jesus himself taught us in the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Persecuted for righteousness' sake. Falsely accused on Christ's account. Suffering not as an evildoer, not because you were obnoxious, but suffering for the gospel. Jesus said it. Peter and Paul affirmed it. Being marginalized, misunderstood, misrepresented, slandered, and suffering does not mean that you're losing. 
or that you're a loser. This is what Christ said would happen. Those who follow Christ will encounter harm and hatred for his name. And so by the power of God, Paul says, Timothy, Timothy, you see it happen in my life. And now by the power of God, join with me. Join with me in suffering unashamed. Suffer unashamed for the sake of the gospel. And church, Paul's words echo down through the centuries and they have an undeniable relevance to our world today. You know, the current COVID pandemic, especially at first, it resulted in lots of cancellations. You remember one year ago? School was canceled. Movie premieres canceled. Sporting events canceled. Celebrations canceled. For a time, gatherings being canceled became the norm. However, over the course of this last year, another more insidious norm has arisen. People are being canceled. People are being canceled more and more. It's becoming a cultural norm. Cancel culture is when people are shamed into silence. So, some people and their ideas are so shameful we can't even discuss those ideas. We can't even consider their arguments. We can't even debate their merits. They simply need to be silenced, canceled outright without consideration. We label all sorts of speech now as hate speech so we can silence it so we don't have to consider its arguments. We label people using words that end in phobic to silence them so we don't have to hear them. We say, you aren't the type of person to even consider that idea or that belief, are you? Shaming them into silence. Such ideas, such people, they're so shameful. They just need to be canceled and silenced. And moreover, it is shameful to be, even be associated with such people or ideas. That was what was happening to Paul. Paul was in prison. He was chained up for the gospel. And that was shameful. People were going, yeah, look at him. You don't want to be associated with him. That's why Paul says to Timothy, therefore do not be ashamed of me, the Lord's prisoner. And in verse 16 of Onesiphorus, he said, he was not ashamed of my chains. Paul says, I've been canceled. I've been canceled. They're trying to silence me. I've been canceled by the intelligentsia, the authorities, the culture of the day. They've said that me and my ideas are not only shameful, but they're illegal. And so they've chained me and they've canceled me. They've thrown me in prison. And anyone who would dare associate themselves with me and my ideas is going to bear the same shame that I bear and risk being canceled as I've been canceled. And Paul writes to Timothy, they've said that the gospel, the gospel itself, which I'm a messenger of, Timothy. The gospel, they've said it's shameful. But do not be ashamed of the gospel. Timothy, suffer with me. Suffer with me for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But why? Why should Timothy be willing to throw it all away? To be ostracized, to be marginalized, to be slandered, to suffer for the sake of the gospel. And it's because of Paul's second point, the unmerited gospel. The unmerited gospel. Again, verses 9 and 10, what we find in this passage is that Paul does what he so often does when you read through Paul's writings. You see, Paul will be arguing along, he'll be making some point, and all of a sudden he'll touch upon the gospel. 
And then he gets so excited and so worked up about the gospel that he makes a whole aside talking about the gospel. You know, again, it's like it's like talking to like a sports fan, like one of our you know football fanatics, like talking to like Kevin or Karen or you know talking to Sandy Hurlbut or Candy or one of these other football crazies. You mention their team or you mention the game, and all of a sudden, whoa! They could just keep on talking about it. They're so excited about it. And Paul's like this with the gospel. He's going along. He's talking about the gospel. And he goes, the gospel? Let me tell you about the gospel. And that's what verses 9 and 10 are. Like, he's making his argument. And they hit from the gospel. And all of a sudden, you hear him getting excited. The, you know, he saved us. And he called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifest through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death, and He brought life and immortality to light through the Gospel. Paul can't help himself. The mere mention of the Gospel gets him so excited, he can't help himself but go on this aside, proclaiming, exclaiming, celebrating the good news of Jesus Christ. And what's he celebrating but the un? Merited good news of Jesus Christ. Friends, what is the unmerited good news? The unmerited gospel of Jesus Christ? It's that, friends, it is not about what we have done or not done. It is about what Christ has done for us. The gospel is that it's not our works, as Paul says here. It's Christ's work on the cross that has saved us. It's not about us keeping up appearances, but about Christ appearing to abolish death and bring light. This, Paul says, is the gospel. This is the good news. The good news is that life is possible, he says. Real life, true life, eternal life, unmerited grace, all made possible through the coming of Jesus Christ. Paul's like a kid on Christmas morning here. He can't stop talking about what he found when he tore into the presence under the tree. He won't put down this gift that he's received. He can't stop admiring its beauty. He can't stop wondering at the love of the giver to give him such a gift. Where's my excitement? Where's our excitement about the gospel? Have we lost the wonder of what Jesus Christ has done? Have we lost the wonder of the gospel, forgotten the beauty of grace? Neglected to thank and celebrate the giver of the gift. Church, where is our excitement? Paul's was right there on the surface. As soon as you mentioned gospel, he couldn't contain himself. Paul is so excited, he declares to Timothy, this is so good. How good is it, Timothy? This news is so good, it is worth being shamed for. It is worth being canceled for. It is worth being killed for. So join with me. Join with me in suffering because Timothy, he is worthy. He is worthy. So let your love be unashamed. He is worthy. Join me in suffering unashamed for the gospel because the unmerited gospel is worth your unashamed suffering. And church, do we believe that? Do our lives demonstrate that? Paul continues. 
and continues confidently declaring that God will guard the gospel. He'll guard the gospel and those entrusted with it. Look at verses 12 through 14. He says, I'm not ashamed. I know whom I believed. I'm convinced he's able to guard until that day what's been entrusted to me. So follow the pattern of sound words that you heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within you, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Now, I just want to acknowledge here in verse 12 that the Greek that this originally comes from is a little bit unclear, which actually results in two versions. The first is the King James Version, which is what we sang in today's song. God is keeping that which I have committed unto him against that day. That's actually the King James Bible, almost word for word. And what you see here in front of you, what we're reading, is the English Standard Translation, God is guarding that which has been committed to me. So so Paul is either saying here, God's going to guard my life that I've entrusted to him, or God will guard, guard the gospel which he's entrusted to me. Now, in this context, I think the second translation seems to fit better. But either way, either way, friends, I don't want you to miss the point. Don't miss the point for the technicalities. And the point is, is that Paul is confident in God's power to protect and to keep and to control. And Paul says that this should prevent Timothy from being ashamed. He's not ashamed. Timothy should be unashamed because he trusts in God's power to preserve. You know, it reminds me of what King David wrote multiple times in the Psalms. But in Psalm 56, verse 11, he wrote, In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Paul says, I'm confident in the power of God to protect and preserve. I may be maligned and marginalized by people. I may be slandered and shamed by the culture. I may be condemned and canceled by the intelligentsia. But really, what can humanity do to me? I'm in God's hands. And because I'm in God's hands, I'll continue to suffer for him unashamed. And Timothy, join me. Join me in suffering unashamed. Notice in verse 12, Paul writes, I'm not ashamed for I know whom I've believed. Friends, notice that. I know whom I've believed. Not I know what I've believed. Paul says, I know whom I've believed. Even as Brian was just saying a little while ago during the prayer, we don't need to know more about God. We need to know God. I know whom I believed. Friends, our faith is not some intellectual exercise. It's trust in the living Christ. It's a relationship. The God who took on flesh, who died for our sins, who rose again on the third day. Our confidence is not that we know the right things. Our confidence is that we are known by the right person. I know whom I have believed. And Paul says, I'm confident that I'm God's. I'm confident that he's entrusted to me his gospel. I'm confident that he holds me in his hand and he'll sustain me until he's accomplished his purposes in and through me. So what could humanity do to me? What could humanity do to you, Timothy? So join me. Join me in suffering unashamed for the unmerited gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And Paul concludes in verses 15 through 18 with an example of uncommon courage. Uncommon courage. Because, friends, it takes courage. It takes courage to stand unashamed 
When society is silencing, when the masses are marginalizing, when culture is canceling, it takes courage to stand unashamed. But Paul says here in verse 15, all Asia has turned from me. An entire continent has abandoned me. An entire continent. They're all gone. He's obviously using hyperbole, but friends, catch the point. Being ashamed is the usual common response. Courage is uncommon. All of Asia is abandoned. Because that's the common expected response. Shame. Silencing. But courage. Courage is uncommon. And friends, the sad truth is that many will fall away when persecution comes. The majority will be shamed into silence. Church, remember what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Friends, church, the easy way is compromise. Silence. And those who enter it are many. All in Asia turned away from me. That was the easy way. But what's uncommon is courage. And those who find it are few because it is the hard way. Those who in the face of cancellation and condemnation will suffer unashamed are few. Paul has been chained. He's been canceled by the culture. And two previous associates, Phygelus and Hermogenes, have been ashamed of Paul and of the gospel. And they walked away. But not Onesiphorus. Paul singles out the uncommon courage of Onesiphorus, saying in verse 16, he was not ashamed. He showed uncommon courage in the face of cancellation and suffering. And church, sadly, compromise and capitulation are common because they're easy. Unashamed suffering is not. It takes uncommon courage. And Paul lifts up Onesiphorus as an example because, friends, courage is also contagious. Paul gives Timothy this example because he knows that courage is contagious. The late Billy Graham said, courage is contagious. When one man takes a stand, the spines of others are stiffened. And Paul knows what Timothy faces. And it will help Timothy and it helps us today to know that we are not alone. To see these examples of uncommon courage. Friends, as we said before, both courage and unfortunately cowardice are also contagious. So what will you be an example of? If they're contagious, what will you be spreading? Church, this letter and this message have always been timely. But here today, be prepared to suffer unashamedly. Because cancel culture is real. What's happening in our culture today is not merely holding some people accountable for reprehensible actions as some claim it is. What's happening today is increasingly a silencing of those who speak against, speak views that go against the culture of the day. 
the pressure of the people, the canceling of the culture, the silencing of society, the marginalizing of the masses. It is increasing. And church, be assured, it will increase. And the question for you and for me is, are we ready to suffer unashamed? German Lutheran pastor Martin Niemöller wrote a famous poem about the cowardice of German intellectuals and clergy during Hitler's rise. The poem is titled, They First They Came. First they came for the communists, and I did not speak out because I was not a communist. Then they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I am not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak out for me. Friends, I promise you, even if they haven't yet come for you and your beliefs, cancellation's coming. Because it is going to require greater and greater compromise and capitulation to stay on the right side of history and to keep up with the wind of every changing taste and belief in this society. Church, as Paul warned Timothy, we must be ready to suffer unashamed. And that's going to take uncommon courage. And church, that uncommon courage is only going to come by fanning into flame the fire of the Spirit. As we sang this morning, we are more than conquerors through Christ. You, Christ, have overcome this world, this life. We will not bow to sin or to shame. We are defiant in your name. You are the fire that cannot be tamed. You are the power in our veins, our Lord, our God, our conqueror. And church, will we suffer unashamed? Pray that we might. Prepare that we might. And let it be said of us what we are about to sing in closing. To the old rugged cross, I will ever be true. It's shame and reproach I will gladly bear. Take up the old rugged cross, church, and let us together, by the power of the Spirit, suffer unashamedly for the sake of the gospel. May it be so. And let's pray. Father, help us in our weakness. We confess our weakness. We confess our fear. We confess that we're all too ready to compromise. All too ready to run. All too ready to let go of the old rugged cross. Afraid to bear its shame and its reproach. So Spirit, come. Make us bold. Make us strong. Make us your people. Suffering unashamedly for the sake of your gospel. And for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.